1: Uh, roxanne hodge of authentic living with roxanne thanks so much for tuning in again uh, this week uh today i have someone very special that's uh come to join us today her name is heather reed reed hi heather how are you
0: very well Roxanne. Well. how
1: are you today i'm good i'm good so heather has um i'm going to say some pretty fascinating uh stories that I we chatted and got connected by another colleague and um, I'm going to talk to her she's her background is uh, quite diverse in business but what we're going to talk today about is more around um, concepts of resilience and how do you get through things that you know oftentimes life deals us and we don't know how we're going to get through and somehow we get through the other side so we're going to talk a little bit about that but let me tell you a little bit about her background um, she's uh, has 25 years of experience in the Canadian meeting and events industry as an entrepreneur, event planner, and an award-winning industry consultant. Heather's no stranger to change and challenges in her business life, and um, comes up and and to bat and and has um, been doing this for 25 years. Since 1994, she's owned a full-service event planning agency, and in 2016, founded the award-winning consultancy known as The Planner Project Inc a company dedicated to addressing the needs for education and consulting for event contract negotiations. She has received awards for thought leadership and commitments to events, including a Smart Women in Meeting Award, the Innovator Category, and the Meetings and Incentive Travel Canada's Hall of Fame Award. Heather is also uh, no stranger to change and challenges, um, not just in her professional life, but personally. She's a survivor of uh, sexual trauma in her youth and mom to two adult tra- children with um, some thought provoking stories of their own. Uh, by candidly sharing these uh, lessons she's learned through her life, Heather hopes to help others with their journey through change and challenges. Now, you've you know obviously started a a successful business and um we know what what it is to create a business and to keep it afloat for 25 years i'm sure there's a (laughs) lot of things that you've learned about change so heather let's talk a little bit about how you think of change because i think that would probably kind of help people understand kind of your space
0: sure i Change to me is is something that happens with warning and without warning. <laughs> uh, I think sometimes we, we can see the writing on the wall that change is coming and sometimes we can feel completely blindsided by it. Uh, and, uh, and for good and for bad reasons, um, change can be a very positive thing. But uh, change can also mean um, unpleasantries and uh, misfortune and things like that. So uh, for me in business for the 25 years, it's interesting. Um, I actually just had a quite a vivid discussion with my family. We were away for a week um, together and uh, we were talking about how I felt I wasn't as successful as an entrepreneur as I would have liked to have been. And I measure myself and, and success, um, at least I typically think of it as monetary success. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I was quickly reminded by my adult children and my husband that there was so much more successful about my business than just the bottom line. Mm -hmm. Um, And I didn't see the bottom line as being successful because it wasn't, even though revenues were, you know, in the six figures some years, not every year by any means, um, I didn't feel like I saw it in my paycheck or in my take-home. But what I was reminded was that I was successful in terms of I was at home with two children from the day they were born until they, they left the nest to go to post-secondary. Um, I contributed to the mortgages of up to six staff at some point. Um, I was, you know, the parent that was able to go and help with a hot lunch day. Um, I was able to do all the, you know, the field trips that other parents didn't have the luxury of doing because of their work. Um, and so there were lots of things that they redefined success for me that I didn't see and I had forgotten of. Um, We have tremendous flexibility. My husband went through a period where he was 24-7 at work Mm -hmm. um, and someone had to hold down the fort. And so uh, change for me is something that I think it's just been there. And I think it is for every woman um, that is carrying any more than one role at a time, Uh, whether it be, you know, strictly mom or strictly, you know, a worker or strictly a a sister or a daughter or whatever role. I think we carry so many hats that change is inevitable. Um, And how we handle that, um, I think, is how we... Uh, view and how we get through life um, if we're able to handle change then we're able to handle what comes at us and to adapt and to uh, um, kind of come out on the other side thinking that was successful even yeah. though it may not be the you know the normal kind of um, how others define success and uh, so yeah yeah it just uh, change is inevitable good bad <laughs> um, and uh, for me the entrepreneurial journey has been interesting. Um, It served a purpose when I started out. I can't say that I ever uh, set out to be an entrepreneur. Um, I actually became one because of circumstances like staying at home with little children in the 90s um, and saw it as my only viable option because I needed to stay somehow academically challenged and, you know, contributing um, and uh, going to work was, was not what our option was at that point. So it kind of fell in, but then really kind of didn't measure it in the way that others did and others saw it. Um, I just kept contributing it to the bottom line. I didn't contribute. I didn't, you know, have this six figure profit. I didn't have, you know, these things that we tend to measure success
1: by. by, Yeah. So I would say that for the most part, we all go through change, especially like to your point, I think as women, like myself, you know, like quite young, you know, I waited a little bit uh, later to have my son, but, you know, Mm -hmm. I was juggling always. Do you think you grow up, thinking about change in that way? Because I think now I think of change and I think, oh, I, I like, I think I like change, but really I don't generally like change. You know, <laughs> there's the changes that I think they're coming and I'm going to get prepped. And then there's the other ones just just careen at you and you and you go, whoa, uh, I wish I had some time to prep for that. Yeah. Well, I,
0: I think, you know, I the image just came to my mind about, you know, the story that the frog, that if you put the frog in the, in the, you know regular temperature water um, it stays in and it can cook you know it gets cooked to death whereas if you put it into a pot of boiling water it jumps out and I think that's like change right like if you're in the midst of it and change happens around you you acclimate to it you adapt Mm. to it you um, find what might work you may find things that don't work more often than you find things that will work Uh, but uh, I think most people become accustomed to change because I don't think there's too much anymore that is absolutely a certainty or that stays rigidly in place permanently. Um, I think we all have to become adept at change. Now, I can say on the flip side, I'm not one that's really comfortable with change. Um, We we are trying to implement a back of house system for my second business, the planner protect. And uh, I hate change. I hate implementing something new. And so, but I think there's places where you have to change um, and where you're more motivated to change than there are in some other aspects.
1: Um, So uh, yeah. So let's now, you talked a little bit about um, some challenges in your youth. And I, I think, you know, oftentimes, you know, if I were to meet you and I know you and I have not met in person, I'm sure we will run into each other. I hope so. Go back to normal. But, um, you know, when successful women see other successful women, let's say for instance, right. Whether you're on a stage or you're, you know, running an event or you're, you don't think of what they've been through. Right. Mm. And you kind of assume, like we do, yep. you know, she looks a certain way, she talks a certain way, she presents herself a certain way. She's probably not been through too much yep. to speak of anyway, just the normal stuff, right? Yeah. Um, tell you talked a little bit about some trauma in your youth, and I really, you know, with trauma, that's one of the specialties that I, um, in my psychotherapy career, was one of my specialties, and I know how difficult it is um, when you've been through something traumatic. So, just time, if you wouldn't mind sharing, kind of what that process was for you, um, because obviously, you know, your space is so positive and and vibrant, and you know, like you said, you've raised a family and you've ran this business how did you get through that trauma and what kind of things for somebody listening that maybe has been through like trauma um, could, could kind of learn from what you did.
0: That's a, a great question and, and happy to answer. And I think Roxanne, one of the things that I've said to you in our lead up to this is that I am not shy of having difficult conversations because I truly, my heart says if some one person can um, have the have the ability to start a candid conversation or a difficult conversation that they need to have, then to me, that's why I speak frankly. So yeah, I did actually when I was um, probably between the ages of 12 and 16, 17, um, just before I left for university, I, my mom and dad, we we had every blessing in the world. We had music lessons, dance lessons, you name it. We had every kind of lesson going. I was very privileged. Um, But I was put in the... in a, a viola lesson um, with a, a teacher that actually molested his students and I was an easy target for him however I was blessed with the fact that I didn't even know it was happening um, and I mean certainly I look back and and there was things that that obviously my psyche was hurt and traumatized by it but in the moment um, what he and he's actually in jail <laughs> um, 30 Courageous women, other than myself, um, actually did a, a lawsuit, and and uh, they won. Um, and uh, he he chose his targets so carefully, so and what he did was just so benign, really, like it, like to me as a student at that time, as a teenager, and yet violated each of us. Um, and and then so that was the f- four or five years before I left home to go to university, um, and. Uh, then in university, um, just the summer after my first—well, uh, actually, I had three years under my belt—changed universities, um, and my first year in my second university, I had a field supervisor um, that I was raped by. Um, we were out in the field, um, and uh, on—I an, on, was working for this field supervisor who was doing his master's, um, and uh, that was a hellish experience. Um, and it came, uh, again, I, I just didn't know. And, and you have to know that this was in 1987 when things were just absolutely not talked about. There wasn't social media. There wasn't Google. There wasn't a lot of things. I came from a, a privileged, narrow, tight family that did not have these conversations that just, it wasn't part of, of my growing up um, and that was an incredibly isolating time. I, I couldn't, I couldn't go home. I couldn't talk to my parents. And it was through the blessing of one, one um, very, very close friend who was a, uh, studying to be a nurse um, who I confided in. Then I actually ended up getting pregnant from that rape, that solitary act. Um, and she walked me through the process um, of the abortion. And, but that was 30 years ago. And I, uh, and now, I think so many of, of women go through that kind of experience in some manner um, that we have it as part of our our psyche, part of who we are um, and I think part of it for me is that I want to succeed despite that I want to uh, that pushes me it drives me it um, it I'll show you (laughs) if that's such a thing is that was kind of my response. Um, uh, When it came time to deal with the after effect of the rape, I mean, there was no counseling. I didn't, you know, I dealt with university um, uh, medicine uh, um, department kind of thing. As far as the on-site medical staff, there was no counseling offered. There was just, uh, you know, um, procedural medical, you know, Um, and it was, we were left to ourself. and and how do you deal with that? And, and I think for me, it was, I just had to kind of just shove it away for quite a long time. And uh, it was probably about 10, uh, well, not quite 10 years, it would probably be six or seven before I spoke to anyone other than my husband, um, and this one girlfriend. Um, And then after that, it, it, you know, and, and I got reactions like, well, were you flirting with him? were you you know what were you wearing uh, kind of that mentality then um, and uh, and that had nothing to do with it um, so yeah there there's been trauma for sure um, and I carried that trauma through weight um I didn't resort to gambling or drinking or, you know, um, but I did eat how I felt. Uh, and uh, that was certainly evident. That's not something that you can hide, right? It, uh, um, I ate through all of that um, hurt um, and uh, got to myself to almost close to 400 pounds. Um, and then uh, through the course of, I think, just years of, of sharing years of, um, you know, just realizing that I'm worth it. That it wasn't my fault. That I am not to blame. That um, these things were done to me. They weren't done, you know, uh, they weren't done for me. I, I, I don't mean that in that way, but it it was it had nothing to do with me, right? It, it, neither of them. Um, they were chosen. Um, deliberate things done to me. And the more I worked through that and, and tried to, and the more I parented as well and realized, you know, um, I can't come from a, a damaged place. I need to do the work. I need to explore. I'm a ferocious reader. Um, I've done a lot of reading of, you know, that self-help kind of working through things. Um, and so it was, you know, and a lot of really amazing women that I have learned to surround myself with who I can share with openly. And uh, so, yeah, it's been. I don't have my crap together.
1: <laughs> I think. I think most of us will continue to work on that, Heather. Till Absolutely. The we die, you know Absolutely. I mean? and, because we are human uh, beings that are constantly in, in interaction with uh, less than ideal situations. But yes, you know yep. what I what I'm struck by truly is that you know we know the symptoms can be um, you know everything from. The sense of depression, anxiety. You talked about eating disorders, which is very normal. Addiction, mm-hmm. suicidality, lots of different things. Because to your point, this wasn't a, this isn't about you. You're you're a victim of a circumstance. But what happens, unfortunately, and tell me if this makes sense, is, it, you know, if you don't get the right supports or you don't like, you had a bit of a, I'm gonna I'm gonna I got this because I'm not gonna give it up. Because yes. this is, was this was about somebody that hurt me. But what happens, unfortunately, is the psyche sometimes because it becomes, the pain has to be stored somewhere. Yes. it's it housed and people internalize it. And those messages become bigger and bigger. It's like a bullhorn. Yeah. I don't know if that makes yes. sense. Absolutely. You have, you have to learn what are the steps to turn down that bullhorn because that is not who you are. Someone hurt you. And yeah. in, in allowing that bullhorn to run that, you've given away your power yet again.
0: Yeah. Right, which, well, and which is and that ball, that bullhorn speaks up at, at the most inopportune times too, and, and continues to 30 some years later, I can't do the math on the spot here, but, but it, it shows up at times where you kind of go, where did that come from? And, and you realize, yeah, it, it's, it's that child in me or it's that hurt in me that, um, you know, I I actually just had a conversation and someone asked to um, be an accountability partner, partner with them. And this is a woman that I just hold in such high esteem. And my gut reaction was, well, I'm not worthy. And I'm like, hold on where did that come from of course I am right like it but yet it's those gut reactions and so I I do struggle with that I struggle with some confidence issues and yet you know I seem to plow ahead and just keep putting one foot in front of another but but absolutely there is a, a recording there's a, a you know a tape player that goes that comes back every once in a while and you think wow where did that come from but I know exactly where it came from and and um, you know identifying it and and having conversations like this with you, it, it helps me every single time to say, you know, this I am not this. I am right. so, and, and so much many more. Women
1: struggle with those things, right? Yeah. Even without trauma, like if we were talking about what it is and how many things women have to go through. And if you think about it, you know, mm-hmm. I was um, you know, Madeline Albright, you know, who she not sorry, Aldred. Uh, the lawyer who was the advocate for women's issues mm-hmm. um, and she talked a lot about her experience and she talked of why she be, she became such an advocate because she had likewise had been uh, raped and she became pregnant and then when mm-hmm. she got the strength what she did is she took it upon herself and this is when you know before the me too and all of that stuff she's yeah, been yeah. you know in that role for so long and it really brought it home because you and I had chatted, and you know, I just listened to her story on, um, you know, a documentary. And, you know, women—it's you know—the stats, unfortunately, are quite high. It's one mm-hmm. in three women, you know, before the age of eighteen, that would have gone through stuff. And we see how, societally, how things get tucked away. Until recently, now there's more people are recognizing we have to really support mm-hmm. others and you know, stand together and you did some, you know, it's so interesting, right? Cause uh, mm-hmm. you know, people would say, what are the paths? So what are, what should I do? You, instead of uh, staying alone in your pain, you connected. Yeah. You had a dear friend, dear dear friend that yeah. allowed you a space and, and ha- basically, you know, held you in every sense of the word to, yeah. to, to give you the steps Um, so, you know, I, I call those inoculative factors, right. And then you started to slowly, um, you know, the pain was still there. Absolutely. You talked a little bit about carrying the the weight because the weight becomes a protector. Yes. Um, Yes. It says, don't look at me. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to make sure I'm okay. Which really becomes intuitively, what does the brain and body do? It protects you at all odds until you finally start to realize with time, step by step that I can do this yeah, yeah. I, hear, I hear that voice, um, what am I going to do to turn it down? And it, 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 there's so many variables that come into play where you, you, know, you, you kind of try something and you think, oh, that's not working so well and you try <laughs> something else. And then you, before you know it, you, know, you, you create that, that success. And I, I'm so happy you talked about the definition of success for women, right? Because women are constantly juggling all these things. Plus you put, put the added element of trauma and you know, women are often second guessing themselves because of so many things that they do. Plus, you laden them with trauma. Is it any wonder that we have so many women that mm. would probably second guess? Am I good enough? Am I doing it right? Am I successful enough? Am I good mom? Am I Am smart I enough? enough? Yes. Yeah. Am I Am pretty I enough? enough? Everything. Am I tall Absolutely. enough? Am I blonde enough? Am I sh- <laughs> you know all those things that yeah. are bombarded with women? And I think it's it, you know your story um, speaks to what happens, unfortunately, um, is, you know, uh, the instinct of trauma is it wants you to curl up in a ball and kind of tuck yourself away and become invisible. And truly what's needed is that I call it the expansion of saying, Mm. uh, it's not about, it's not about me, you know, it's unfortunate, but what can I do about it? That, that, you know, that backhand uh, perspective that you had that uh, you're not going to take this away from me, which is, which is the thriver mentality, which is clearly what you did.
0: Yeah, and, and and it was, and and I was very blessed that I was. I grew up in a household of three girls, um, and my mom and dad told us that we could do anything we wanted, and I already had that instilled in me as far as I can dream big, I can do what I want, and even though it seems like I, and I took a big hit. I, those those two things were big hits. Um, actually, it was my very first day of university that. Um, I went to to the first university for music and it was my viola instructor that very first day who went to measure me for, if you know a viola, you play it underneath your chin. And he went to measure me and he didn't do it like my teacher. And I said, well, don't you have to like take off my top and go down in my bra? And he's like, what? And it wasn't until that moment and then that I realized that I just went through five, six years of being traumatized that I didn't even know it, um, and and that was like this, I don't know how to like a brick wall that just kind of came trum- crumbling down. It's like what what was that, and yet I was able to kind of tuck it away and you just move on. I mean I was in my late teens and, and and then the the, the next you know um the, the summer of eighty seven that I would have been uh, almost. Uh, if, well, I don't know, sixty-four to eighty-seven, uh, whatever it is, right? Like, um, and and so it it just. But then, the older I get, um, the more distance you have from it. Um, the more that you have time to to process what it was, and you find other things that you 're good at it 's not that it 's just that period of time and I was very lucky that I had my husband turned out to be a friend that i started i became a friend with when I was twelve he wow. knew me before. Any of this had happened, um, and so I was able to confide in him, and and he was like, "You can do anything, and you're going to do anything you want, and you're, you know, you this is not going to define you, and you can have whatever resources you want." Um, and I think you and I talked uh, um, briefly about our daughter, our oldest daughter, um, in her fourth year of university. Um, horribly, we got a phone call, uh, you know, at 10:30 at night, and she was couldn't breathe on the other end of the phone and we're like what's going on she actually was raped um, uh, on campus and it was heinous horrendable horrendous horrible Um, and yet it was a it was an opportunity where i was able to say you know what there is no shame you are not going to live in this for a moment we're going to you know get you every resource possible and her journey is going to be very different than mine because now there are resources now we can talk about it now we know that it's not about what you wore what you or maybe maybe we do and maybe we don't maybe people some people don't yet but i knew that it wasn't about her um and and that we were able to to really help her get the resources and two three years later she is further along that journey of healing then it took me decades and, you know, uh, to get to. Um, and it's just a, a different, um, it was a an, uh, challenging time to watch as a parent when you know that the, the pain that they're going through firsthand and you go, oh, you know, what can I do? But yet I knew what I could do because I'd been there.
1: Um. Been there and, and, and not um, sharing with your parents at that time. Yeah, yeah not context. at all. Not at all through your adversity then you recognize what could I do differently and, I, and you know and we know that right like once you know ch- um you know whoever the assault is happening to has that proper support um that there's a there's a such an additive element to healing um mm-hmm. and to your point there's resources everywhere you know victim services there's responding at the hospital there's you know, all those things that get done that they can get help immediately to start to, you know, obviously initially um, get, you know, get a hold of the trauma when they're in crises and then eventually go back and, you know, reprocess from a space of strength what has happened and give back the responsibility to who it lays with. And then obviously our judicial system is getting a lot better. They're still not there around, um, you know, victim blaming which i think you know with a lot more education it's going to get better and unfortunately with the celebrity that comes with the me too and stuff like that we have to use those advocates to to heighten, um you know women's voices we've we've not been involved in in that much in the in the um
0: legal aspect because she chose very purposely for herself um, not to, um, at this time, and she still has that window of time because we did everything by the book, uh, but she has chosen at this point not to because it. she has to protect herself first at this point, um, wasn't prepared to go through that. Um, and I really respect that for her, that, that she's made the choice for herself, but it's been very informed choice. And I think that's where the difference is that she's made purposeful choices where I kind of feel like I bumbled along and... You know, didn't make deliberate choices because they weren't at that time. It wasn't a structure or a, a process or a journey to follow. It was, you know, I'd go off the rails and not really know. And and then you know, um, I dealt with depression. As I said, the weight was awful. I I kind of just carried this shroud, as you said, it protected me from a lot of things. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's been a completely different journey um, for the two of us, but think a unique one where we see different and she grew up in a household where I spoke about what had happened to me um and so she knew that calling home was not going to be um there was going to be no judgment no like what were you doing you know it was going to be holy you know what I'll be there. And I had to take a train. That was the worst. Nine hours of my life was sitting on a train to get to the university town to scoop her up in her car and bring her home. Um, But it it, it just there wasn't the same reaction um, uh, that I feared if I was to have called home. Um, I I didn't. Um, I didn't feel I could. Uh, And yet, Kaylin knew that she could. She absolutely
1: could. And she did. Um, within mere hours um you talked a lot about um and i'm curious because i want to understand that that you when you became a parent you recognized that you had to have a certain level of strength because now you had these children to raise and tell me what happened when you became a parent and then you had gone to your what shifted that you said you know i'm going to use a benign i'm going to use a story of mine i always had problems um, when I, when, you know, I had to go to the doctor and they had to put a needle in my arm to get blood. I'd be like, I'd look away and I'd, you know, I'd, I'd go all this stuff. And then my son was born and he was born a month early and he was jaundiced.
0: Mm-hmm. And I remember
1: saying to myself, and here's this little, you know, little thing, cause you know, feet are, you know, this tiny <laughs> and I had to take him in to get, they had to take blood. And I looked at him and, you know, obviously he's, he's, he's helpless. And I I thought, I'm taking this helpless little baby, I'm his mother, and they're going to have to prick him several times a week. I have to start mm-hmm. looking because I need to give him the support and not think about myself because I'm a grown-ass you know, grown woman. Sorry. don't to say, but, And I, that's when I shifted to say, you can look at that needle because he needs for you to look at that needle and you'll be okay. And something shifted in me. And ever since that day, I've been able to look at needles. It doesn't bother me again.
0: Well, it's it's interesting, and, and my dad has passed. My mom is still living, and I, I love her, uh, but and so but I grew up in an era, and I think many women of my fifty six year era uh, grew up with you're to be seen and not heard uh, and uh, you know that we were you didn't talk back you didn't express your opinion you you know um at least that was my experience as the oldest child um and uh we were as i said we were given every blessing in life and we came from an amazing household amazing community um, but not without you know some issues, or if you want to say that. But I grew up really knowing that that we just didn't challenge the authority. We didn't challenge, um, you know, elders. Or I grew up feeling vo- voiceless. If that's that's how I've. T- coined it since that time like I certainly didn't feel that as it as a young child or as a teenager or even those first few years going off to university I didn't feel that way but I've come to identify it as just not feeling like I had my own personal voice Mm -hmm. um and I so I was 30 when our oldest was born and so I had a few years under me and um a few experiences by then and I I decided very very early on and I can't say I we my husband and I um that we wanted our kids to have a voice And we didn't have to agree with their voice. They were gonna learn respect, but we wanted to hear them out. And it was interesting because my kids are as different as day and night. You could not have two biological biological siblings be more different than my two. And so it it caused a lot of friction because if one would say black, the other one would say white. If one said I'm gonna go right, the other one said I'm gonna go left. Like it just was a constant, right? From the day the second one was born. And And, but yet I was very true. We were very true to the fact that we wanted them to be able to express themselves and have their opinion and and tell us what they were thinking. And a lot of that came from the fact that I wanted to have a voice. That could talk to them as well. Um, I wanted them to know that they could tell us anything anywhere anytime, but that came by being deliberate because it's not what I had experienced growing up um, and so I think I don't I don't think it was anything more earth-shattering than that was that when we had children we decided very specifically that we were going to uh, be very open and allow them to be individuals and they were and I mean you know like Christmas morning they're fighting right you know, like it's just it was uh, <laughs> it made for some uncomfortable times but uh, for the most part they are very individual individuals um, who now get along and and for the most part but they, uh, so I, I think that's one thing that I look back and I think, yeah, that was a, 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 a move that worked out for us, right? There was that both kids um, knew that they could talk to us about anything,
1: anytime, anywhere. Um, well, through your adversity, and I'm, and I'm going I'm, to, you know, I'm also in your era because I'm 54 and I grew up in the Caribbean, which is probably mm. going to be less open, I think, at times than, say, North America at that time. And, um, you know, if you think about it, that adversity of, I couldn't, I didn't feel safe enough to say what happened. And you could have, you could have repeated that pattern, Heather, but you didn't. You you, you said, okay, well, I, this has happened. I'm going to figure out my way. And then like when you married Chris, like you said, then you decided together that systemically you were going to create an open system that said to your children, regardless regardless of what happens, even though you didn't grow up with that, loving, kind parents in a different context, then you said, open book.
0: Yeah. And, and, and I don't know why. Um, it just was very important to me to be heard. And if I wanted to be heard, I wanted kids that were raised to be heard and that would listen to others. Um, And I, yeah, I, Yeah, I I don't know. I really don't know why. And I I probably should give that some thought, Roxanne, as to why it was so important to me. But maybe it was, you know, it's, it's interesting because in the moment of... Um, my assault um, with the field supervisor—the one thing that I constantly, the image that flashes back to me is me screaming no, um, repeatedly. And and I think part of that is when I say I didn't have a voice, I wasn't heard, um, and and I didn't, I knew I didn't have a voice with the viola teacher. I, I mean, I I didn't even know better, right? Quite frankly, I didn't know better. But with the with the rape, I. I knew what was happening to me, it was slow motion, but I know that I kept just saying no, no, no. And and whether that drives me and, and whether I just, I have this compelling need to be heard. And it's interesting because even in my professional work, I have a drive to be heard. Um, I think that's why I started my second business was because I had an area of expertise that I wanted to share, but I also wanted to be heard as an expert. And, and uh, you know, it, whether that's just intrinsic in me that that's part of how I work through things, I don't know. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's certainly been um, a big
1: part of of who I am and how I've handled things. Um, so it makes sense then, because like if you look at it, like that that concept of having a voice, I think you'll hear a lot of survivors talk about it. It becomes a pinnacle. But I think, to intuitively, as human beings, there's this deep part of us that needs to be heard. And then if mm-hmm. it gets taken away by a trauma it's almost like it has that reverberating effect. And it has to come out at some point, yeah. right? As developmentally, I think as human beings and as women, like with some of the things we're talking about, yeah. you have to fight that much harder. And then when that gets ripped away, it, 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 it gets created an energy. And sometimes, unfortunately, some women go the other way where they curl in mm. and, and they, they, they become smaller and they become invisible, which I clearly out of this interview, for anybody listening, you have shown what it is to thrive through adversity, right, and not let events um, that has nothing to do with you take your power.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and I hope that is a message because I, I didn't set out to know that. Like I, I, it, but, but it has proven itself to be incredibly solid thinking is that that reach out one of the, the things I say is be patient with yourself but have the courage to to ask and to reach out and to talk to others like you know go quiet yes but not forever not you know uh, to your detriment that you've got to reach out and, and talk to others and I um actually one of the one of the uh, um so our our son, who's the second born, um, is an amazing person. And I was sharing his story one time from the stage. And I had a mom come and say, because of of what you've said, I know I'm going to be okay. And I think what we have to do all the time is, is just say, you know what, this is my story, and the more you say it out loud, others will, will learn from that, but you'll learn about yourself when you talk out loud, and you learn how other people have coped, and you can take that, and, and, you know, uh, course correct if you have to for yourself, but uh, um, trying to be an island that just tries to figure out things out on your own doesn't work.
1: <laughs> no, no, you yeah. need, you need every life raft there is, and yeah. some, and you need <laughs> backups to backups to be able yes. to do all those things. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So, what I'd like people to really recognize and why it's so important for me um, with trauma is that a lot of people lose their way, right? Where Because the, the pain is that palpable um, when a trauma happens and the brain and the body does its thing. It does what it needs to do to keep us alive. And in your situation, why I find this so powerful is that you've been able to pivot that um, and you know, use different methods, right? Like you said, you didn't do the traditional way, you know, you figured out the friendships, you got the connections, you, you, and then when things got bigger, you thought, okay, I got to do something different. You connected, you connected, you connected because again, when we're depressed, we want to fall in and we want to just kind of shut out the world. We need to maybe do that initially when there's a trauma, but then the more, the quicker that you can open up, then you're going to get that connection. And as soon as like, you know, you and I have not met in person, but we've had two conversations and now I see your beautiful mm-hmm. face. You know, there's a connection that happens human to human mm-hmm. and Thank that's where um, healing happens. You know, well, and, I,
0: and I also think, I, I I think back to a woman that's in my life now who, I, I think, people are put in your path and and they see in you what you may have lost in yourself. And, and that for me uh, back in 2013, when my dad had passed away just probably about six, seven weeks prior. And, and he was a big figure in my life and, and uh, I was pretty lost. And I was very, very heavy. And I was in the throes of, of, you know, parenting teenage <laughs> kids and all of that, right. And, and all of that and running and I had employees at the time and, and I had this vision of, of who I thought I could be and I wasn't delivering on it and it just I was I call myself a hot mess at that point but uh, she saw in me what I didn't see in myself and I would encourage other people that if you have people that that say to you you are this or you are that or I see you as this trust them trust them because you you don't you don't um you don't uh buy into yourself you know, like we're we're hardest on ourselves. and, And so if you can trust that what someone else sees in you is really real, then lean on that and, and invest in that and, and lean into what they're saying and how you are. And if you can't trust yourself or rely on yourself, then rely on someone else. And, and I have to say that at that point, and um, when this woman, you know, saw in me what I could be and what I had lost sight of, uh, those people in your life are so, so important. And it doesn't have to be, this lady was a, a business coach, actually. Uh, and and didn't know me from anyone else in the room but over time got to know me and then spoke to me in a way that i went oh wow you see that you know i don't see that in myself and and uh so i think it's listening to others and and trusting others that they see you differently than how your own recording your own you know tape (laughs) your own you know mindset may fail you so
1: well this has been an amazing interview thanks so much Uh, for sharing your story Um, And for anyone out there that, um, you know, is inspired by this, um, you know, Heather, they might want to to chat with you. They might want you to tell your story on stage about um, adversity and change. Um, Where is it that people can get a hold of of you if they want you to do that?
0: Well, first of all, I'd love to just a simple phone call if that's what someone needs, uh, just an ear to listen and to to uh, share with. Uh, I can be reached through my second business primarily, which is uh, email, which is Heather at PlannerProtect.ca. Um, so just as it sounds, the word Planner, the word Protect ca um or um, yeah it's probably the easiest way is by email um you could probably find me on facebook pretty easy to find but uh um, i would be delighted to connect with anyone that that needs a confidant or um you know that i can shore up with some in some manner i would love to have that
1: privilege to do that so thank you how gracious of you heather uh, so what am i walking away with um you know i i talk a lot about relationships and I think what, what Heather showed today is that um, there will be things in our lives that gets us disconnected for who we are truly meant to be. Yes. And to use, um, to her last point, um, because we are so tough on ourselves, use others um, that, see, that keep that reflective lens clear.
0: Mm -hmm. And then go
1: along a bit at a time and eventually you'll reconnect to that authentic self. And uh, again, Heather, this has been amazing. Uh, For anyone that ever wants to, um, you know, work on that piece uh, within themselves, uh, I can be reached at RoxanneDurhodge.com.